I'm super excited today. I'm teaching about the subject, the secret to turning captivity, the secret to turning captivity. And I'm excited to get into it this morning. All right. So you know that we have been looking at Psalms 126. Listen, you need to share this broadcast. You need to get this broadcast on your page. Partners, you need if you see partners that are missing, you need to tag them and be like, come to church. Listen, this is not the time. Pastor Edwin has been saying this to us consistently. This is not the time to cave in and quit. This is not the time to get bored with the word. Don't get bored with the word. Why? Because Proverbs tells us that the word is life to those who find it and help to all of their bones. So understand that the strategy of the enemy, think about it. When we went to church all the time, there were people that the enemy used the same strategy when we were actually in the building to make them bored with the word, to make them feel like they didn't need to attend church on a regular basis. Now, at the beginning of the pandemic, if I could just be honest, when everybody thought they might die, people were incredibly faithful in church. People was going to church who had never gone to church before because they were terrified that they were going to die. Now that we've been in this place where the pandemic has become normal to us, people are beginning to back up off of the word. But if you back up off of the word, if you allow the enemy to bring the distractions of whether it's Facebook, Netflix, your job, your family, even your own personal struggles, if you allow the enemy to distract you from the word, then what's going to happen is that you are not going to be able to live the life that God wants you to have. And more importantly, you are not going to be equipped to do the work that God wants you to do. Let me ask y'all something. How many of you know at least one person who doesn't know Jesus? How many of you know at least one person who faithfully goes to church, but they still live a lifetime of struggle? How many of you have situations in your family that you need the presence and power of God on? How many of you know people who have health challenges, who have mental health challenges? How many of you know people who are struggling and people who are operating in captivity? Now, one of the things that Jesus said to us as he got ready to descend to ascend into heaven is he said, listen here, you go and do the work that you have seen me do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. I want you to cast out devils. I want you to cast out the anxiety, the fear, the oppression, the depression, the paranoia, the schizophrenia, these things that are plaguing the people. I want you to do that. I want you to I want you to speak with new tongues. And I want you to know that if you touch any deadly thing, it shall not harm you. And I want you to make disciples. So I want you to make people who do exactly what you do because you do exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to get you to understand that we are carriers of the freedom that people need. But if we're not walking in freedom, then we can't give away freely what we have received because we don't even know what we have received. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so there has to be, you know, for the last several days, I've really been talking about how important it is for us to grow up. Why? There are too many people who aren't saved. There are too many people who are sick. There are too many people who are bound. There are too many people who are broke. And last week, I believe it was, Pastor Edwin and I talked about this is the family business. Maybe it was week before last. This is the family business. The family business is not just about me accomplishing what I want to accomplish, you accomplishing what you want to accomplish. The family business is about making the name of the Lord great all over the world so that 
people who are in captivity can come, but it needs to start with us operating in the secrets that will break our own captivity. Amen. Amen. And so I want you praying even right now as you are watching this. I want you praying that as you put it on your Facebook page, that the person who is thinking about suicide, the person who is thinking that their life isn't worth it, the person who is wondering if their marriage can turn around or if God cares about them, if there's provision for them, that they will come on Facebook, see your post, and they will click at just the right time that the Holy Spirit will grab them with a word that they need to hear that will change their lives. I am I'm telling you, this is not the time to back up off of the word because the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that the earth, not just people, that the whole earth is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, the whole earth has been taken into captivity by sin and the bondages of sin, and that God is raising up sons and daughters, mature believers who know how to operate in the things of the kingdom so that the people and the earth can be set free. Now, one of my favorite movies, um, Man, it just slipped my name, but everybody's going to know it. Pastor Evans going to know it when I say it's one of my favorite movies, Wyatt Earp. It's not the one called Wyatt Earp. But one of the things I love about Doc Holliday is that when they get ready to go in a fight, he says, I'll be your huckleberry. God is looking for some people that'll say, I'll be your huckleberry. I'm willing to make the sacrifice. I'm willing to grow up. You can put me in the game, coach. You can count on me. You can trust me. I won't cave in. I won't quit. And I won't go tombstone. That's it, Keidra. Tombstone. He says, I'll be your huckleberry. God is looking for some people who will say, I will be your huckleberry. Why? Because I know it's too many people who are not saved. I know it's too many people who are still sick. I know it's too many people who are living in bondage, wondering if God loves them. I will be your huckleberry. But what it has to start with is me understanding the secrets of turning captivity and then me making a decision decision to stay out of bondage. Amen. Let's start with our first scripture today. See, that was just the warm up. I didn't have Pastor Ellen to go back and forth with, so I had to give it to you all by myself, right? So in Psalms 126, it says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with us. Now, this scripture became foundational for us in our declaration that this is the year of release. And as we have been talking about, it's not just the year of release in terms of released into a new job, released into a new house, released into a new marriage. It is being released from the things that God never intended to be in our lives. Now, I was doing a little research on this scripture last night, and I found out something interesting, that this psalm is the seventh among 15 songs, a series of songs that would be sung by the pilgrims as they return to Jerusalem after being released from captivity. So this psalm right here, Psalms 126, where it says, 
when the Lord turned our captivity, we were like them that dreamed. They were literally people who were working their way back from whatever place that they had been taken into captivity. Now, it's interesting. I don't know if you know this, but there is some discussion about how many times the children of Israel will take it into captivity. Some say four, some say seven, but put in the comments, it was too many. Some say four, some say seven, but you can put in the comments, it was too many. Here were a people that had been chosen from God, chosen by God, hand selected by God, never ever designed to be in captivity, but yet at least four times they went into captivity. And the Bible says when they would come out of captivity, they would sing this one of 15 songs as they were making their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And they would say, when the Lord turned our captivity, we were like them that dream. In other words, they were saying, our captivity was so crazy. It was so hard. We didn't ever know if we were going to make it back to Jerusalem, if we were ever going to make it back to freedom. We, it was so good. It was like we were dreaming. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was filled with singing. And then even the heathen said, the Lord has done great things for them. I am telling you that God has designed breakthrough for his people, that even people who are heathens and don't believe in him will have to say the Lord has done great things for them. How many of you want to see that? It says the heathen said the Lord has done great things. And then we said the Lord has done great things whereof we are glad, whereof we are glad. We are so glad. Now for us, because we are people who walk by faith, even though we have not seen in the natural the full manifestation of this year of release, we should be already in this state saying, where we are glad. We are so thankful that God is working things on our behalf. We are so thankful for his provision that has gone before us. We are so thankful for his favor that has gone before us. We are so thankful for his increase, for his divine protection. We are so thankful whereof we are glad. Then it says, turn again our captivity, O Lord as the streams in the South. So I was doing some research on that and it was super exciting because it says this streams of the South, they did not always exist. But when the flash floods would happen because of the rain in the mountain, literally in an instant, a dry place would become saturated. See, somebody should have caught that and been like, do that for me, Lord. Literally a dry place would become saturated. And it says that's how fast we want the Lord to turn our captivity, that a place that was dry is now covered with water. It is now flash flood. There is plenty of water everywhere. And then it says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. Now listen. So here is a group of people that were chosen by God and they were never designed for bondage. But yet four to seven times in their biblical history, they went into bondage. You should stop and think about that. You have never been designed for bondage. Put that in the comments. I was never designed for bondage. You were never designed for bondage. 
But how many times in your life, in spite of being a born again believer, have you found yourself in bondage, financial bondage, mental bondage, physical bondage, location bondage, relational bondage? You were never designed for bondage just like they were never designed for bondage, but yet they kept ending up in bondage. And for many of us, even though you've accepted the Lord Jesus as your personal savior, maybe even filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you keep finding yourselves in cycles of bondage. So today I want to talk to you about the secret of turning captivity and staying out of captivity. Now, I know I'm asking y'all to type, up, type a lot today, but I don't have my partner here with me to comment back and forth. So I want you to say this. This time when I get out, I'm staying out. This time when I get out, I'm staying out. I'm not just going to keep cycling like the children of Israel, getting into bondage, coming out of bondage, thanking God that I'm out of bondage, then forgetting what God told me to do that keeps me out of bondage and going back because you do realize that that is what happened to the children of Israel. The Lord would say to them, hey, guys, here is how I need you to live. And then they would live that way for a little while. And then they would begin to complain and murmur in their hearts. They would begin to look at the surrounding heathen nations. They would get jealous because they could not do what they were doing. They would begin to come into idolatry. And then God would keep sending prophets to say, turn around, turn around, turn around. How many of you know God is still sending prophets to say, turn around? turn around, turn around. He would keep sending them. And then because they kept going in that direction, they would end up in bondage. And then they would end up in bondage. They would be in captivity. They would be taken away from the place that they were supposed to be in. And then they would say, why did this happen to us? And then somebody would come and say, it happened because you don't obey God. And then they would say, God, we so sorry. And the Bible says he would have mercy on them and he would deliver them in order for them to get free. And they would sing one of these 15 psalms as they were on their way back. And then Dadgummit, guys, what would they do? They would forget again. They would forget again. Now, when you're reading the Old Testament, you can just go, are these people insane? They literally had God who walked with them in a, a cloud and fire, a fire, fire by night and a cloud by day. He fed them with manna. He opened up the Red Sea. He had Jericho fall. He let the sun stand still. He did all of these miraculous things, but they kept forgetting their God. And every time they forgot their God, they went back into captivity. How many of you, if you were honest, can say God is giving you some instructions to stay free? He has told you some things to do. And when he first snatches you out of freedom, you like, I ain't going to never do that again. I am never going back again. I'm never going to steal the tithe again. I'm never going to stop fasting again. I'm never going to stop putting my word in first place again. And then before you know it, you forget what God has done and you end up in the same place. So the reality of it is we are not that different than the children of Israel, but we have a distinct advantage. They did not have the Holy Spirit in them. They only could have the Holy Spirit on them. Now, we have the advantage of having the Holy Spirit in us. But tell your neighbor, say, you got to listen to him. 
The Bible says the job of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth, to help us remember who we are, to help us remember who our God is, to help us remember what we are called to do. But many of us, we neglect this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he begins to give us correction, Sean, don't go that way. Sean, don't do that. Sean, don't hang with those people. Sean, don't respond to that post. What we begin to do is turn down his volume because we don't actually want to hear. And the deception that we make in our flesh is that whatever it took to get free is not what it takes to stay free. So we are repeating the cycles of the children of Israel. But tell your neighbor, say, but we don't have to. We don't have to. Now, the children of Israel, they're a type and shadow of the body of Christ. So let's look at this scripture right here in Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 9. Oh, this is good to me. It says, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. Say this, I didn't pick him, he picked me. He didn't pick you because of your education. He didn't pick you because of your family. He didn't pick you because of your gender. He didn't pick you because of the color of your skin. According to this, you're the least likely. We're the least likely to be picked. But he picked us because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, I'm a whosoever, I get to choose. He picked the whole world, but who gets to receive this or whoever decides to be a whosoever. Do I have any whosoevers out here? He says, because the Lord loved you, because he would keep the oath he swore unto your fathers, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondsmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord, he, the Lord thy God, he is faithful, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now, can you see the type and shadow in that? The children of Israel in captivity in Egypt. He says, God did not choose Abraham and make this group of people because they were already successful. They were already popular. They already were feared in the earth. It says, no, in fact, he picked you. When he picked you, you were the least. You were the fewest, but he picked you because he loved you and that he is a God which keepeth covenant. And when we look and see that he talks about redeeming the children of Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh. That is exactly what he did in the shedding of Jesus's blood. He redeemed us out of the hand of the enemy. Now, come on and think about this. If you have been redeemed out of the hand of the enemy by the blood of the lamb, why would you go back? But you do remember the children of Israel when they got into the wilderness, they began to cry for the bondage that they had been de delivered from. They're in the, in, the, in the wilderness. He is feeding them with manna and they're saying, oh, we wish we had the leeks and the onions of Egypt. Literally, when they're in bondage, they're saying to God, look, look, can I bring it modern day for us? They're saying, God, if you will just get me out of this relationship, I will never date anybody else that you tell me to date, that you don't tell me to date. 
God, if you will just get me out of this job, if you will get me out of this lease, if you will get me out of this sickness, I will stop eating the stuff. Lord, I know you keep telling me not to eat ice cream, but if you will just get me out of this right now, I promise you I won't eat no more ice cream. And then you go two weeks and you begin to crave the bondage. Everybody, why? Because of your flesh. Because of your flesh, Romans tells us that your flesh is enmity to God. And you need to understand this, guys. Your flesh, there is no good thing in your flesh. And your flesh is designed to kill you. How do you know your flesh is designed to kill you? Let me ask y'all a question. How many of you have ever eaten to the point of making yourself sick? You knew that you were full. And you knew that you didn't need to eat one more bite. But as you sat there and looked at that food, whatever your food of choice is, that you ate that food anyway, even though you knew the consequences of eating that food, because your flesh, your mind said, the Holy Ghost said, maybe even your husband or your wife said, babe, you don't need to eat that. Babe, you know, the last time you ate that much, you got sick. And your flesh was like, don't let him tell us what to do. We can eat what we want to eat. We are grown. And literally, you're laying somewhere sick and in pain because your flesh would literally let you eat yourself to death. We look at people on shows like My 600 Pound Life and we go, how did they get there? They got there because they did not have any control over their flesh. And many of us, while we are not 600 pounds, we live in that same kind of cycle of allowing our flesh to tell us what to do. How do you know your flesh is telling you what to do? You do what you want to do, even when you know it's not good for you, even when you know it's not healthy for you, and even when you know it contradicts the word of God. You still inboxing people that the Lord told you not today. You still going after jobs that the Lord told you not to go to. You had to move to that city that the Lord told you not to be in. You had to do this. You had to do that. And then here's what happens to us. Then when you're sitting in the middle of your captivity, come on now, what you then turn around and do is go, why would God let this happen to me? Why would God let this happen to me? What did you want him to do? Slap that piece of chicken out your mouth? What did you want him to do? Come in the bedroom and stare with, at you? What did you want him to do? Make you act right on your job? And so this is not a new problem that people get free. God frees us. He hears us when we cry out and we Still go back and do that thing because many of us have never made the decision to live free. All we want is temporary deliverance from the problem, from the pain. We don't want to be free at the root. Hallelujah. Listen, this is good. I want to go to that scripture that y'all, that Galatians 5 and 24. Um, can you pull that up? It says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So one of the requirements of born again believers is to do what? To crucify our flesh. 
Listen, can I tell y'all something? If you won't crucify your flesh about fasting, you're not going to be able to crucify your flesh about cussing. If you won't crucify your flesh about giving, you're not going to be able to crucify your flesh about credit card debt. If you won't crucify your flesh over not saying what God tell you not to say on the over on social media, you're not going to crucify your flesh with your spouse. We have the responsibility of crucifying our flesh so that we can live in freedom. Amen. But we got to make the decision not to go back again with bondage. I want to go back to Galatians 5 in, in Galatians um, 5 and 24. It says, um, and they that are Christ have crucified their flesh with the affections and lust. Verse 25 says, if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. So in case you haven't figured it out, the key, the secret to turning captivity is to walk in the spirit. It doesn't matter if we go to church and then as soon as we finish our time in church, this hour, this 90 minutes, whatever we're going to do, we then spend the rest of the day walking in our flesh, doing what we feel, moving how we want to move, saying what we want to say, going where we want to go. And then we end up in captivity and say, God, how did I get here? Amen. Listen, what is captivity? Let me ask you this question before I define this question. How did a people chosen by God to be his people continually end up in captivity, bondage, and exile? The answer is simple. Disobedience. You, 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 could, you could try to make it big. You could try to make it fancy. You could try to pull up the Greek word, the Hebrew word. You could say it in French. You could say it in Russian. You could say it in Spanish. But at the end of the day, the reason that a people who were called to be free continue it to end up in captivity, bondage and exile. The answer is simple. Disobedience. How does a people who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb continue to end up in bondage? The answer is simple, my friend. Disobedience. Now, let's look at what captivity is. Captivity, it is the state of being a prisoner or being in the power of an enemy by force or fate of war. Now, you already know this is a war because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians and in Ephesians that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The Bible tells us that we're in a place of spiritual warfare. And the Bible tells us that the, the one of the worst weapons against us lives on the inside of us. If we go back and we study Romans, the Bible tells us we have a member warring on the inside of us that when we would to do right, we could not do right. And that so we begin to realize that now what's fighting against us is no longer the new us that's been redeemed. It's the old us that's still tied to sin, because the Bible says until we until Jesus comes back, we're born again in spirit. But we still live in this fleshly body and this flesh is enmity against God. Right. So it is the state of being a prisoner or being in power of an enemy by force or the fate of war. The enemy will never, ever easily let you go. He does not care if you have accepted Jesus. He is perfectly content for you to be a born again believer who makes confessions on your Facebook page and then lives in sin. He is more than content 
to allow you to preach the gospel and go home and cuss your family out. He is more than content to allow you to talk about how important seed time and harvest is while you don't participate in seed time and harvest. He is more and he is more than content to allow you to get on Facebook and tell us how well you eat and then get off and go eat 12 chocolate chip cookies. He is more than content with us living a life that does not reflect the freedom that has been given to us. Another definition for captivity is subjection, a state of being under control, subjection, servitude or slavery. Right. Let's look at this scripture in Romans 6 and 16. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do his will, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? I, I, I don't even want to read no further. I want to go back. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do his will, you are the slaves of whom you obey, either slaves of sin, which lead to death, or slaves of obedience, which live to righteousness, right standing with God? I believe that's the Amplify that I pulled that up. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourself, you are offering every act of disobedience is you offering yourself to Satan. Jesus shed his blood, snatched you out of the power of the enemy. Colossians 1 says he translated you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. But every time you disobey God, here's the thing. If you're disobeying God, you're obeying Satan. If you, if you obey your flesh, you're obeying Satan. So every time you disobey God, you are offering yourself to Satan, making yourself a slave, even though you've been called free. There, I love what Abigail said. There is no in-between. That's why the Bible says he hates lukewarmness. Why? He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's New Testament for those of you who believe God doesn't really deal, do any of that stuff in the, Old, in, in the New Testament. When you practice disobedience, you offer yourself to Satan. Now, here's what's happened for many of us. We say, Jesus, Lord, we will be incredibly offended if someone tried to offer us some other type of religion, some other type of God. But my question to you is, since we all obey someone, who exactly do you obey? I know with lip service, you say that Jesus is Lord. But if we look at your life, would we see that Jesus is your Lord or that you are continually offering yourself to Satan for the purposes of doing his will? So you are a slave of the one you obey. We all obey someone or something. There is no in between. We're all obeying someone or something. Turn to tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, who do you obey? I'm not talking about when the, when the pastor's around. I'm not talking about when the saints are around. Who do you obey? Who do you obey? God has been saying to you for months, I need you to get up and read your Bible before you go to work. You're like, I'm not getting up early. So who do you obey? 
You've been saying to God, God, I know I need to start tithing, but you don't. Who do you obey? God has told you to eat different. God has told you not to be in that relationship. God has told you, who do you obey? Because again, I don't want to move off Romans 6 yet. It says, do you not know? In case you didn't know, I'm here to tell you. Who do you not know that when you continually, not just one time, but you continually, and we have too many believers who live in captivity because you continually offer yourself to the enemy to do his will. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do your will, you are the slaves of one whom you obey, either slaves of sin, which lead to disobedience or of obedience, which leads to righteousness and right standing with God. So who do you obey? Listen, can y'all see if y'all can find the scripture for me? It's in John. And it is the scripture where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they are saying they are sons of Abraham and they have never been in bondage to anyone. I know it's in John and I want to say this before John 15, just like the children of Israel, many born again believers live in bondage when they were created for freedom. You were recreated for freedom. They live in perpetual cycles of dysfunction, sin and distress because they are either ignorant of the secret that is of turning their captivity or they refuse to obey. The truth of it is, is sometimes we are ignorant. Growing up, I didn't understand the tithe. Growing up, I didn't understand the power of confession. So my ignorance kept me in a lot of bondage. But there are other bondages that because I willfully disobey God and you need to know this, just the children of Israel were not an exception. He loved them and he chose them, but they could continue down a path so long that the only thing was understand what would happen to them, guys. Thank you. It's John 8 and 39. Thank you, Tanya. Think, um, understand what would happen to them. In the beginning, they would dabble with sin. Understand this. I don't know if you've ever studied the children of Israel, but the children of Israel, their issue with their, their God's issue with them was not that they wanted to replace him as God. Their issue with him, with his issue with them is that they wanted him to be one of their gods. They wanted to take this God that was like, I am the Lord God, your only God. Hero Israel, the Lord God is one. And they wanted to say, yes, we are going to serve you, Yahweh, but we're also going to serve Baal. We're also going to serve Asherah. That is why when you will go, that what will happen is that righteous kings would go and what they would do is they would have to tear down the other high places. I want you to hear this, guys. Those people who went to the high places of Asherah, the high places of Baal, also went to the temple. They were a people who wanted to have multiple gods. They wanted God for his provision. They wanted God for his protection, but they wanted to be able to go to the temple, the other temples and sleep with prostitutes or go to the high places and make child sacrifices and do all of this. It was not that they were trying to displace God. It was that they wanted God to share his space. And many of us, if you're honest, maybe you ain't gone to the temple of the prostitutes, but you show lay in bed with folks that God and that ain't your spouse. Mm-hmm. Amen, saints. 
And so he they they would want to introduce. So God would call a righteous king or a righteous prophet. Understand even the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Elijah comes and he says, you need to choose today who you're going to serve. That's what Joshua said to them. Choose today who you're going to serve. That's what Abraham, I mean, what Moses said. Choose today. Moses goes up on the mountain. He's on the mountain. They think he's gone too long. They take the gold and silver that God has given them and they fashion a calf to worship. Let me ask you this. What do you worship that can't save you? What 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 inanimate object have you created? What person have you exalted as an idol? It might be yourself. It may not be your husband. It may not be your wife. It may be yourself. What inanimate object, what created being have you exalted that you don't want to replace God with? You just want to sit them beside God and decide which one of them you're going to obey at a time. When when Elijah goes with the prophets, with the 400 prophets, he says to them, he says, choose whom you will serve. So my question to you today, you say that you belong to God. You say that you are a people, that you are about the family business. You say that you are a people who are committed to using your life to obey God. You say that you want the release. You say that you want the freedom. You say you want your life to bring him glory. I am saying to you as a prophet of the Lord, choose ye this day whom you will serve and then you need to do what Elijah did you need to kill all your idols anything that does not stand the muster of God should be killed in your life now don't be out here physically killing people because you go go to jail but there are relationships that need to be killed there are foods that need to be killed there are things in your there are attitudes that need to be killed Amen. As a born again believer, you have the right to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13 and 11, he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. I just heard that. Some of you, you've exalted your money above God. That's why you won't obey God with your money. Some of you, 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 you pleaded with God for somebody to spend your life with. He sent you someone and now you've exalted them above God. You've exalted your job. You've exalted, many of you, you've exalted your reputation. And then this is the thing that many of us exalt above God, our pride, our belief that we are right, even when he says we're wrong. What is the golden calf you've made to the Lord that you made to sit beside the Lord? What resources has God given you that you have now taken and fashioned yourself a golden calf that you are now bowing down to? Because now when you decide whether you're going to obey God, you got to check with the own personal bow in your heart, the own personal bell in your heart to see if it's okay with that God, to see if it's okay with that idol if you obey God. Who do you have to ask permission of before you obey God? Is it your flesh? What is it? Because whatever that is, that's the reason you keep going back to bondage. That's the reason you keep going back to bondage. And I want you to understand this. The Bible tells us we have to crucify our flesh. And Elijah shows us we have to crucify our idols. So the Holy Spirit is not coming to crucify our idols. 
The Holy Spirit is not coming to make you leave that relationship. The Holy Spirit is not coming to snatch the time out of your account and put it where it should be. It is time for you to kill the idols that have exalted themselves above the knowledge of the Most High God if you truly want to live outside of captivity. So it says it's been given to us to know the mysteries of God. Amen. Let me take a sip of water. Everybody just shout Jesus. Come on, shout Jesus. See, because if we're going to set this thing right and manifest the song, listen, we listen. I know that the Bible tells us Old Testament and New Testament, that there is always a people who only want to hear God is blessing you. God is increasing you. It's your season and it's your time. And I have long held that I will never be one of those false prophets who tell a disobedient people they're about to be blessed. I will never tell a disobedient people they are about to be blessed because God is incredibly offended with prophets who tell a disobedient people that they're about to be blessed. What God is looking for is for prophets, preachers, fivefold ministry who will say God wants you to be blessed, but you need to kill that calf. Come on, put that in the comments. Say it's time to kill that calf. And some of you know exactly what it is because for years, God has been talking to you about the same thing, closing the door, not giving that access to you, not entertaining that anymore, not going there anymore, not being there with them. He has said it to you over and over again. It's not that you don't need anybody else to prophesy to you what the calf is in your life. You know what it is. It's sitting there beside you now telling you to get off the broadcast. It's getting there right. It's right now telling you she too serious and it don't take all of that. It's getting there telling you, telling you go and scroll and find somebody that's going to tell you that you blessed coming in and blessed coming out. But I'm telling you that anybody who tells people that they are blessed without telling them to obey, they are not operating in truth. It is our responsibility to grow you up so the work of the ministry can be done and say to you, it is time for you to kill that calf. Kill that calf, whatever or whomever you have exalted to have equality with God. In fact, above God, because you only obey God if they're cool with it. Now, in spite of our right to know the mysteries, many of us choose ignorance. Hosea 4 and 6, this is an important scripture. Most of the time when we read this scripture, we, we stop at the first part of it where it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But if you keep reading, what does it say? Because they rejected knowledge. But let's keep going. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou have rejected knowledge. I will also reject you that you shall be no priest to me. That is what happened to the children of Israel. That is what would happen to the children of Israel. God would raise up a righteous king, a righteous judge, a righteous prophet. He would say to them, this is the way the Lord wants you to go. And when they were in deep bondage, they would do it. But then when they got out from under the pressure, they would begin to go back to those idols. They would begin to look over there in other countries and other communities and say, we want what they have. Why God don't let us have what they have. And God would keep sending prophets. And you know what they would do to the prophets? They would kill them because they didn't want to hear it. 
And many of you, you kill the prophets with your words. When you don't like their correction, you try to you try to discredit them. You kill them in your own ears. You talk about them to other people. Why? You're acting just like the children of Israel. And the only outcome for that, friend, is more captivity. The only outcome is more captivity. You know, Caleb said this years ago when he was a little kid. And it's, it's just beautiful, the revelation that kids get. He said, you know, one of the problems with us is that we don't we have so much grace and mercy that we don't see the, the, the fast impact that the children of Israel would see. For example, God says to Moses um, and Korah, Korah goes against Moses and he says, hey, if you on Korah's side, stand over here. If you on Moses' side, stand over here. Every one of us Today, we would be like, who the freak don't get on Moses' side? But they got on Korah's side, and God was like, this decide you on? The earth opened up and swallowed them up. Everybody say, thank God for Jesus. Thank God that we don't get the immediate impact of our sin. Thank God for grace and mercy. And every time we say, it's killing me, we don't drop dead in the floor. Thank God that we don't get immediate results. But turn and tell your neighbor, say, but if you play long enough, you will. But if you play long enough, you will. And one of the deceptions that the enemy uses for the New Testament church is to make you believe that because you are not getting immediate consequences, that no consequences are coming. Caleb just said, we live in a time where you don't turn into a pillar of salt for your disobedience, for looking back. So just obey. Literally, hear me, hear me. Understand this. Just because you are not getting immediate consequences does not mean you are not on the path to severe consequences and captivity. People like, oh, this is not a fun message. Oh, tell us we're going to get a house this year, Pastor Sean. Oh, tell us. Can I tell you something that may hurt some of your feelings? If you had done what God told you, you would already have a house. You're praying for a house, but you won't do what he told you to do. What good is it to prophesy to a people about the goodness of God if you have not crucified the part of you that disobeys God? So when God gives you an instruction, you don't do it. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject you that thou shall be no more priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Now, in the beginning, he says to them, when we go back in Deuteronomy, he says to them, because of your father's obedience, I will remember you. And then he says here, because you reject knowledge, your kids, your kids won't get the opportunity your kids will not get the opportunity to live in the blessing because of your disobedience today. John 8 and 32, it says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hear me in the kingdom. There is no knowing of the truth that does not include doing the truth. In the kingdom, there is no knowing of the truth that does not include doing the truth. When we refuse to do the truth, we are rejecting the truth. And as a result, we end up like the children of Israel living in places of bondage that we should never, ever know. I'm going to say that again. When we refuse to do the truth, we are rejecting the truth. And as a result, 
we end up living like the children of Israel in places of bondage that we should never, ever know. Places of bondage that we should never, ever know. Many of us today are carrying the scars of our previous disobedience. We have stories and memories that still seek to torment us because we chose to reject God's instruction and go our own way. We carry the battle wounds of our disobedience, but yet we still practice disobedience. How often have we caused our own captivity because of our arrogant belief that we know better than God? How often have we led ourselves into captivity because we would not follow the instructions of God? Everybody say, but no more. Come on, today is the day that you need to draw a line in the sand. You need to make a decision to become radically obedient. Why? Because God is so faithful. He is so faithful. And even when we make our bed in hell and even when we create these places of bondage and even when we create these wounds, when we call on him, when we repent, when we turn, he comes and helps us. He leads us in the way that we should go. Yes, that is one of our confessions. 2021 is the year of radical obedience for this church and our pastor and our partners. No pastors too. Amen. Pastors and partners. No more, but no more. Our faith can only be completely expressed in our obedience. Our words expressing our faith in God mean nothing if we refuse to crucify our flesh and obey God. God wants us to live free. He has given us Jesus. He has given us Holy Spirit. He has given us the written word and he has given us leaders to help us grow. What will we do with what he has given us? There are many people in the Bible who escape captivity because of their obedience. We're almost done, God. The woman in 1 Kings 17, she escaped the captivity of a famine because she obeyed God's instruction to feed Elijah when she thought with what she thought was her last meal of meal and oil. Her obedience tapped her into the supernatural pro, pro, flow of provision that sustained her and her household until the famine was over. Understand that there was a famine in the land. She was participating in the famine. She then gets an instruction that brings her out of captivity, even though the famine doesn't end. That goes back to the prophetic word pastor has given us. Hold on to the words. Do what I'm telling you to do. Here is a woman who lives above a famine in the midst of a famine because of her obedience, because she believes God enough to do what he said. One of my favorite stories of obedience turning captivity is 2 Kings 5. I'm not going to read the entire story to you, but I encourage you to do it, to go and read it. It's a story about Naaman. Naaman was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with many accomplishments, but he had one problem. He lived under the captivity of a condition called leprosy. In spite of his greatness and his positions, Leprosy restricted him and held him hostage. He was a captive. He was under the captivity of leprosy. Then his wife's servant, who had come from Israel, told him about the prophet Elijah, and he told his king who sent him to be to Israel to be healed. The king of Israel was distraught because he thought it was a trap. After all, who can heal someone of leprosy? Elijah could by listening to the Lord. 
So Naaman goes to Elijah's house and Elijah is so smooth with it, guys. Elijah don't even come to the door. He just sends his servant. Naaman come. He got all his people with him. He got his crew. He a big man in Syria. He, he got it going on. And he says, listen here, I got leprosy. I've been told that your that your your man of God can heal me. And I'm wondering what I can do. The man, the servant goes back and talks to Elijah. Elijah still don't come to the door. He says, tell him to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Servant comes back and says, listen here, my boss says you need to go wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman almost let his pride keep him in captivity. Naaman begins to go off because the Jordan is dirty. And he begins to say, like, out of all of the water, it's so much water and better water in Syria. And you want me to go wash in the dirty Jordan? That don't make any sense. And his servant had the wisdom to say to him, if he had asked you to do something big, something that you thought was important, would you have done it? And so Naaman goes and he washes in the Jordan, but his instruction is to wash in the Jordan seven times. And he's not healed until he finished washing the seven times. Many of us, it's not that we haven't heard the instruction. It's not that we haven't started the instruction. It's that we haven't completed the instruction. I want to give you five secrets we can learn from Naaman's encounter. All right, five secrets that we can learn. Number one, none of us are so important that God will modify his instructions for us. None of us are so important that God will modify his instructions for us. What does that mean? God says fornication is a sin. He don't care who do it. God says to bring your tithe and offering. He don't care who you are. God says to put a guard over your mouth. He don't care what happened. No one is so important. None of us are so important that God will modify his instructions for us. Naaman thought he was going to get some important instruction, some instruction that he deemed worthy of him. And if he had not had the sense to follow his servant's instruction, he would have gone back to Syria still carrying that leprosy. Many of us are still carrying our captivity because we believe that God loves for God's love for us should demands that he modify his instructions. He's not going to do it. Number two, no instructions are beneath us. No instructions are beneath us. None of us are too, not, for example, none of us know too much word not to study every day. None of us know too much word not to pray every day. None of us have graduated from fasting. None of us have graduated from simple obedience. No instructions are beneath us. And if you think you are above the instructions, you will stay in captivity. Number three, instructions must be completed to get results. Instructions must be completed to get results. Dexter said, what is that you used to say? You're loved, but you're not special. What I say is that you are special, but your situation is not. Instructions must be completed to get results. 
Many of us start the instructions of God. You start walking. You start drinking the water. You start being faithful in prayer. You start being faithful. There are some people out there that God has told you not to date for a period of time. Six months. Don't date anybody. And you do pretty good that first month. And then somebody get in that message and like all 37 of your pictures. And here you go going back on the instructions. But instructions must be completed to get results. He told you to go back to school and to update your resume. You updated your resume, but you didn't go back to school. He told you to apply for a new job every week. You don't apply every week because you watch an NCIS. Instructions must be completed to get results. Number four, obedience. Even obedience that doesn't make sense will turn our captivity. God, does not use our wisdom to determine what's wise. Just because instructions don't make sense to us doesn't mean God didn't say it. And our problem is that in our pride and our arrogance, we think we know more than God. So God says, I need you to do X. And some other so-called expert somewhere else says you should do why and you do why. Or can I be honest, some of your friends who have no reverence and respect for God talk, tell you why you don't need to obey God and you obey them. And I've never understood why some I, I've never understood this. I've never understood why somebody who can't play the who can play the piano would listen to somebody who can't play the piano about how to play the piano. How would you let someone who doesn't reverence God give you instruction about obeying God? All right. And number five, number five, if we are unwilling to obey, we are disqualified from receiving, even though it's already been provided for us. Now, you ought to screenshot that one. If we are unwilling to obey God's instructions. We are disqualified from receiving, even though it's already been provided for us. Pastor Elwin taught us this. Every single thing that God has for you, it's been put aside in a trust for you. That's why we like to say what God has for me is for me. It is for you, but without obedience, you will not access it. Everything God has for Kristen, for Sean, for Pastor Edwin, for Pastor Ralph, it is put aside in a trust for us. But if we are unwilling to obey, we disqualify ourselves from receiving, even though it's sitting in a trust with our name on it. Your next job, the relationship you dream of, your good health, your wisdom, your revelation, your insight, your promotion, your favor, all in a trust with your name on it. But if you are unwilling to obey, you are disqualified from receiving, even though it's already been provided. And you cannot pray enough. You cannot plead enough. You cannot beg enough. And you cannot sow enough to qualify yourself for what your disobedience is disqualifying you for. So this week, I ask you to prayerfully consider what areas are you acting like Naaman? What are you angry uh, that God, what are you angry about that God has asked you to do or not to do? What do you think is beneath you or is unnecessary? What obedience do you continue to start but fail to complete? 
Again, I'm going to ask you those questions again. What are you angry, irritated, aggravated about because God has asked you to do it or not to do? What do you think is beneath you or unnecessary? And what obedience do you continue to start but fail to complete? The secret to turning your captivity is to obey the Lord's instructions in entirety and consistently. This includes his universal instructions found in his written word, as well as his unique instructions that have been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. I just want to end with this right here. Pastor Ellen, I think it's one of the most profound things he said when he told us this year, God gives us universal instructions that are found in the Bible. And then he gives us unique instructions that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. And there are many of you who, while you are following the written instructions, you are ignoring the instructions that Holy Spirit is specifically telling you to do. I can remember there were periods of time that God told me not to listen to secular music. I think I went five to seven years where I didn't listen to secular music. All I listened to was preaching, worship, or nothing. And people all around me still had the liberty to listen to secular music. That didn't have anything to do with me. Then what people go is they go, well, why, why does it matter if I listen to secular music? God is not obligated to tell you that. What I'm obligated to do is that if I want to go where God is telling me to go, is to do what God is telling me to do. There have been periods of time where Pastor Edwin, even though he loved beef, he fasted beef for an entire year. Why you don't you why why would God have you do that? That ain't your business. The following of the instruction is my business. God said to Abraham, get up and go. And then Abraham got up and went. And that's why he saw what God said. He didn't, he didn't argue and debate with God. He didn't look for someone. Many times what we do when God gives us instruction, we look for someone who will give us a pass on obeying what God says. I want you to hear this. I don't care who in the world agree with your disobedience. I don't care if the whole entire world disagrees with your obedience. I don't care if they tell you that the Bible is antiquated. I don't care if they tell you you don't need a pastor. I don't care if they tell you that it don't take all of that. I don't care what they tell you. I am telling you that if you don't obey God, you will never live free and you will continue to operate in the cycles and the dysfunction of captivity that simply does not belong to you. So there may be somebody today that said, Pastor Sean, man, that was a word. That was a word for me. And you know what I realized I need to do? I need to repent. There may be somebody else that's saying, Pastor Sean, listen, listen to this word. I got to admit, I've never really given my life to the Lord. I've been out here, you know, yes, I go to church and I know a lot about church, but I've never actually given my life to the Lord. So if you're a person here and you're like, I want to give my life to the Lord today, or if you're a person and I know this, I know that there are believers on this broadcast, you need to come home. I don't mean you need to come to church on Sunday morning. I don't mean you need to come to prayer. I mean, you need to come home. You need to come home to God because you are knowingly sitting in spaces that God has told you to get up out of. You have literally surrounded yourself with golden calves and the, there is a way that seemeth right, but the end is destruction. God wants you to live a good life. He wants you to live a good life so much so he gave Jesus 
but now you got to come home. I love it. Cynthia says, I need to repent. Listen, repentance is not about crying. Repentance is not about laying on the floor. Repentance is about changing direction. So Cynthia, now what you need to do is you need to turn and change direction. Those things that God has told you to do that you aren't doing, you need to turn and change directions. Amen. Amen. I want to use this last scripture here. I see they put it up. It's 2 Peter 2 and 9 through 11 in the Passion Translation. It says, but you are God's chosen people, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted one. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet. But now you are drenched with it. Come on, guys. Come home. For those of us who love God, but we continue to do things that we know God is not pleased with. You're convicted by the Holy Spirit when you're still cussing. You're convicted by the Holy Spirit when you're still doing these things. You're convicted of not tithing. You're convicted of being dishonorable. Guys, come on home. Why? Because this is the year of release and God wants you to live free. God wants you to live free. Don't keep bringing yourself into bondage with disobedience. Now, you may be thinking, man, this is a good teaching. I want to be a part of this church. You should come and be a virtual partner. No matter where you are all over the world, you can be a virtual partner. And all of our partners have the same rights and privileges. Pastor Edwin and the intercessory team and I, we pray over you and we believe that the same anointing that's on our life is on your life. And we're praying for you right now that you will step into the grace of obedience because there is a grace to obey God. There is a river of grace to obey God. I don't care what people say. Grace is not about doing what you want to do. Grace is not that you have permission to do what you want to do. Grace is the empowerment to obey God. And if you are born again, you are created for obedience. So listen, we want to encourage you become a virtual partner. Let us know. I say this all the time. I don't know we go together if you don't tell us that we go together. So if you don't say we go together, I don't know. How do you say we go together? Fill out this virtual partner form. You'll be added to our, our private Facebook group. You'll be added to our email list and we will stay in contact with you and know that Pastor Edwin and I and our part and our intercessory team, we are praying for you. We want to encourage you. If you made a decision to give your life to the Lord today, let us know. If you made a decision today to come home to the Lord, let us know. If there's a way that we can pray for you as you take this journey of next level of obedience so you can live free, let us know. We would be happy to do that. We love you so much. I want you to go and have an amazing day, but I want you to think about what I said. How are you acting like Naaman? I want you to close the door on that. And I want to pray over you as we get ready to go. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us enough to correct us. I love, I thank you that you love us too much to allow us to sit in bondage, to allow us to sit in captivity, even when we made it ourselves. I thank you for the grace to obey. 
I thank you that today, many of our eyes, we were flooded with light. Our ears, we were they were open to hear. I thank you that the scales came off. I thank you that you would put your wind on this word and you would send this word across the world because there are many believers who do not understand why they continue to live in captivity. I thank you for making us this royal, this royal priesthood that you called us to be, that you would cause us to be a people that show forth your glory and we magnify your name. We love you and we honor you and we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Listen, um, we just did someone just put this post up in the back end and I think it's beautiful. Remember to close the door when the Holy Spirit reveals the areas of bondage in your life. One of the things that they tell people who have alcohol problems is don't go back to the bar. One of the things that they tell addicts, drug addicts, don't go back to where all the drug addicts hang. Don't be so prideful that you think you can continue to sit in those places that pull you in. If you know that you have trouble not overeating, don't go to a buffet. You have to do the things that are going to cause you to be free. You have to participate in your own rescue. Pastor Edwin and I love you so much. We thank God for each of you. Be Become a partner. Share your testimonies with us. And we look forward to seeing you this week. And we want you to remember that this is the year of release. Take all of your release and get rid of all bondage. Now, it's your opportunity to give and something supernatural happens when we give. You can give through Giveify, Pushpay, Tithely, Text to Give, or at PayPal at focchurchnwa at gmail. We are so thankful for the amazing partners we have. We're so thankful for how you help us with the scholarship fund. We're so thankful. We've been able to help so many people because of your generosity. And we thank you for that. And someone was like, Pastor John, I want to sow into you today. Listen, if you want to sow into me today, could you do me a favor? Could you sow that into the scholarship fund? I really want us to meet this goal of this of meeting the uh, this goal of $50,000 for the scholarship fund. So if you were like, man, listen, I want to communicate to you today. Please, please, please give it to the scholarship fund. Let's go ahead and knock this goal out. So we pray. Um, do you guys have the confession that we can make the confession over giving? Is it there? Okay, let's make our confession over giving. Dear Heavenly Father, as disciples of the living God, we honor you today by giving our tithes, offering, and gifts to be used in fulfilling of the Great Commission. And in return for our cheerful obedience, we are believing you for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales, and commission, favorable settlements, estates and inheritance, interest and income, rebates and return, big checks in the mail, Gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decrease, blessing and increase. Thank you, Father, that as I join my value system to yours, you will shower favor, blessings and increase upon me so that I have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That is our prayer for you for being a covenant giver in this ministry. We thank you for it and we love you. Again, send us your testimonies. Let us know if you become a virtual partner. Don't forget to bring your offering and um, we'll see you this week at the events that we have. All right. We love you. God bless you. Have an amazing day.